All right, I have the distinct pleasure of being able to introduce our guest speaker this morning. So I'll, I'll start with like the obligatory biographical, you know, like professional biography stuff. I'm just saying that Sarah Bessie is the author of several best-selling books, uh, many of whom I know, or many of which I know many of you have read, Jesus Feminist, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, which I was particularly fond of, um, and more recently, A Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. She's also one of the co-founders and now co-leaders of Evolving Faith. I know several of our congregants, I think, went down to that first conference. Um, so we are familiar with that. And she's also the co-host of the podcast that carries the same name. But I wanted to offer just a slightly more personal introduction as well. I mean, besides knowing that Sarah is also a big Doctor Who fan, which of course gives her like two thumbs up in my book. Um, <laughs> most of you know our story that, you know, we came out of the vineyard movement in the US. I, I was kind of the, uh, the poster child gay pastor being the only one who got fired. And that was sort of the founding of our, our church split. Ken fired for not firing me. Um, and Sarah lives in Canada. And I think Vineyard Canada had a slightly delayed policy creation. It looked like for a moment they might actually end up with a more inclusive uh, policy toward LGBTQ pastors and gay marriage. But when they came down and, and you know, mimicked the exclusionary policies, I know Sarah and her husband and their kids did leave their vineyard church. And um, for me, that, that just expresses a lot of solidarity with the oppressed. I have a lot of gratitude for people who are willing to do that because I know it's hard. There's terrible grief in leaving longtime faith communities. But, you know, the good part of it on the other side, as we know, is that you find fellow travelers right, who are wandering in the spiritual wilderness and you see each other and you recognize some familiar wounds, but you also know that you've got this shared freedom and joy that comes with associating with the other exiles and the oppressed and the gospel comes more alive. And so I wouldn't trade the experience of being out here in the wilderness with the spirit guiding us for anything. So it's with that introduction, I am really, really happy to introduce Sarah and she is going to be speaking this morning. Thank you, Emily. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy to be here and uh, glad that we're all together. Um, we do have Doctor Who in common. That is definitely a thing that, that has united us. And one thing that Emily didn't mention is that in that book, A Rhythm of Prayer, um, she actually is a contributor um, to that book as well. Um, and, uh, and a very meaningful one. I know I've heard often from many people just how much your words have meant to them, Emily. So thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm really happy to be here with all of you today. Um, we do share a lot of, um, you know, shared story, a lot of tangled up roots, um, I think, between a lot of us, uh, which makes me glad. It's a rare thing. Um, you know, to be able to find. And so I'm gl really glad to be able to be here with all of you. Um, I wanted to share a, a bit of a, a, I was gonna say a quick message, but we all know coming from the background that I'm in, that that's not too likely. Um, I need an editor in both writing and apparently also in sermons, but um, I wanted to share a little bit, I guess, you know, from here, um, you know, it's nice to be able to kind of come in on Zoom from Calgary here. Um, 
and even the opportunities and the openness that was there. I think because one of the things that I've heard, I feel in the last number of weeks is a lot of um, hopelessness and despair um, from folks. And I think particularly from a lot of my American friends, um, you know, wanting to, I guess, approach that tenderly, you know, that there's a lot of things that people maybe are bringing into you know, kind of the uh, spiritual space that we've, um, you know, created and, and kind of carved out here. And so, yeah, I, I, I think I wanted to just kind of lean into that a little bit and, and talk about that. Um, and even what role does hope have, um, you know, in these moments and at this, this particular point in time. And so would you just give me a minute? I just want to want to pray for a quick second, uh, Spirit. Would you do what only you can do and help me to get out of the way? There's a lot swirling around us and we ask for your clarity. And this is Ahana said, your wisdom. Thank you. All right. So for a lot of um, months now, I want to say even probably it's coming up on a, on a year or two. I feel like I've been spending a lot of time with this story over in um, the book of Luke that honestly to me, maybe this is more of an indictment on me than on anyone else, but I feel like I kind of skipped over this one for a lot of years. Um, I don't know if anyone else kind of came of age with that habit of reading the passages of the Bible that you really like and only them. Um, but that tended to be my experience. And so coming across this rather small story in the book of Luke about an encounter with Jesus. Um, and so for those of you who maybe are a bit more familiar with my work, it probably won't surprise you that I want to talk about an encounter with Jesus. Um, I tend to still have stars in my eyes about Jesus. Um, and the reason why is because I find in this story something very um, emblematic and uh, instructive even for those of us who have found ourselves, like Emily was saying, kind of in this wilderness or in this sense of um, being on the other side of something and still moving into what's next. Um, and it can feel a little bit like an apocalypse at times in, in that way, and in, in the truest sense of the way, meaning like a, a revealing um, um, or an unveiling. And so the story that I wanted to uh, take a run at this morning takes place on the third day after Jesus's trial, um, crucifixion, his death, and his burial. And on this day, it's um, the grieving women who are on their way to the empty tomb of Jesus. And they encounter an angel who tells them that uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. And Mary Magdalene is among these women. And so of course they immediately run back to the 11 disciples and all the other disciples that are there as well to tell them about this. But Luke tells us that nobody believed the women, which <laughs> imagine that. So finally, Peter goes to check out what these women have told them. And sure enough, he finds the tomb is empty, but there's no angels. Um, and he's left wondering, right? It's only the weeping women with their burial spices in hand, the ones that are there to say goodbye to their friend. Um, they're the ones who encountered the angel and the truth that Jesus is risen. And so that's the story that they're telling. And so it's after this that we find these two other disciples who have heard what the women have said, and they are on the road uh, to Emmaus. And this is over in Luke 24 for anyone who's like, you know, wanting to keep an eye on it. I think it's uh, 13 to 35. And it says there that on this, now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them, 
but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was being said in the scriptures concerning himself. And so I want to pause there, but we are going to come back to this story. But I wanted to stop there because there's something that that happened there in that passage that um, I think is important for us and and resonates maybe even with the moment in time that we have found ourselves in. Because we begin with Cleopas and his companion, and they're on the road to to Emmaus, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're absolutely heartsick about what has happened, they don't know what's going on. And so they're walking home and they're talking about what's happened as they've left their sacred city. When this enc- they encounter this stranger who seemingly shows up out of nowhere. And there's something that happens in that conversation that really just kind of broke my heart in three words. Um, and the three words that they said are, we had hoped. That we had hoped. That we had hoped that Jesus would, would be the one. We had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. Maybe that we had hoped that he would be our great liberator, that he was the Messiah that we had been longing for, that we had hoped for more great words and deeds. We we had even hoped to overthrow the Romans. We had hoped for redemption. We had hoped that he would somehow talk his way out of this one because he had he has done that before. We had hoped that the triumphal entry meant something. We had hoped that Jesus was going to be alive, but now he's dead and his body's missing and the women are telling us this story. And now what? You know, I was reading this commentary on the book of Luke by Justoel Gonzalez, and he notes that even the possibility of resurrection isn't enough to wipe away their sadness. That even the possibility of resurrection isn't enough. That they're disappointed because they had expected um, certain things of Jesus. Apparently, they're sad not just because Jesus has died, but because he has not met their expectations, right? Which is, I think, a very courageous thing to name that we had hoped. And when I look around the church, um, I think in this moment in time, it does feel like a very common experience for a lot of us um, that, yes, there's, there's anger, right? Usually there's a, there's a, a justified and, and a righteous anger. There's grief. Um, there's sorrow. But there's also disappointment. There is that thwarted hope that something about this hasn't quite met our expectations. And Proverbs has, tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And so perhaps maybe that's, um, that's what I heard there in those three small words in that passage. And from so many uh, people that I've spoken to over the last number of years, no matter where I have been and in what sort of community, um, there has been that hope deferred or that sense of heart sickness. And when I think about um, the stories that I've heard, um, particularly I think of those of us who 
um, are either in the midst of or have gone through or experienced some sort of a faith shift. Um, we had hoped feels like our cry in a lot of ways that we had hoped that the people who introduced us to Jesus wouldn't be deceived by Christian nationalism um, or conspiracy theories that we had hoped that uh, marriages um, could survive change and, and evolution. We had hoped for healing. We had hoped for uh, friendships that would last even as we changed. Um, we had hoped that the universal church would actually love our gay kids and trans friends and immigrants and widows and the poor and the incarcerated and the disabled. We had hoped um, even that if we raised our kids in a certain way that we could guarantee an outcome. Um, turns out that's not true. <laughs> you know, we had, um, we had hoped that there would be accountability and lament and reparations when wrongdoing has happened. We had hoped that um, we would remember what it is to repent well. Um, I think a lot of us are hoping right now that 19 little kids in Uvalde matter. Um, we had hoped that when we came forward with our story um, of loss or even abuse in the church, that we would be believed instead of re-traumatized or blamed even. Um, we had hoped that purity culture would give us a healthy view of sex, but boy, was that ever wrong. What a nightmare that turned out to be. Um, we had hoped that our parents would love us unconditionally, or we had hoped that a church that claimed to love their neighbors wouldn't pull performance stunts of like pretend persecution during a pandemic. We had hoped, um, you know, differently from our elders or our peers. We had hoped that we could ask these big meaty questions without making people shut the door on us or call us heretics. We had hoped that we could bring our whole selves to church. We had hoped um, that white supremacy would be rejected by the church, that Christians would be the first ones to care about climate change or to lay down our power and our privilege and counting it as nothing because of the gospel, that we had hoped that the gospel would actually be good news uh, and glad tidings for everyone. We had hoped for justice and we have hoped for so many unnamed and unacknowledged things. You know, um, the singer Jason Upton he wrote this song about Emmaus and there's two lines in it that have kind of caught my, my attention. He, he sings that the two fools on the road to Emmaus, they might as well be you and me. Um, I think we have found ourselves on a road to Emmaus at this moment in time. Um, maybe we haven't even admitted perhaps how heartsick and disappointed we have been um, profoundly, deeply disappointed at times Maybe it's that Jesus hasn't met your expectations, or maybe it's those who claim to follow Jesus, right? And I think that it's, I think it's very good and worthy work to interrogate our expectations of Jesus. You know, sometimes we are like the disciples who expected one type of Messiah, um, one type of salvation that, that you know, would, would only include me and mine and what mattered to me, you know, or one type of Jesus who just exists to affirm how right we are, right? And then we got the crucified Lamb of God instead. Jesus um, absolutely refuses to be anybody's mascot. And um, I love this about Jesus. And also it's the worst because sometimes it would be nice to be able to have a mascot for the things that we want. So it's true that sometimes our expectations do need to be disappointed uh, in order to make room for the truer and wiser um, gospel to disrupt us. So sometimes one of the greatest gifts that God can give us is losing our religion. Um, we have to be as committed to 
unlearning the broken and the false and the incomplete things, if we want to even begin to have space to relearn the goodness and the joy and the embrace of God, right? The road to Emmaus that we are on can, can be the altar where we meet with God, right? But I mean, that's me just kind of getting ahead of myself because maybe you do feel the disappointment and maybe you don't, right? And that's okay. Everybody has kind of come into this room. We find ourselves often there at some point in our lives. And so I just wanted to say as well, that if today is not your day and you're feeling like things are, are pretty good, that you need to know that as a community, we, we rejoice with you in that. Um, and that we want you just to, you know, tuck this even into your pocket and just trust the Holy Spirit to pull it out for you on a day when maybe you need to be reminded or even, um, on a day when you simply need to be able to understand or offer love to someone who is experiencing a road to Emmaus moment, you know, we're all at different points kind of in our journey. Um, but I also wanted to name something that for me, I found very powerful and yet very simple in this story. Um, my background is comes from more of a word of faith, prosperity, gospel, charismatic kind of tradition, um, which is its own very specific kind of baggage. <laughs> so, but there was something very um, simple that happened in this story that means a lot to me. And it is that the two disciples weren't afraid to say out loud um, the reality of what they were feeling, of what their situation was, that they weren't afraid to admit that they were sad. Um, that they were disappointed, that their hopes had not come to fruition in the way that they had expected, that they were confused and sad, and they were not compelled to pretend that away or pray that away or sing really victorious worship songs and write Bible verses on their mirrors. You know, that you you are allowed to grieve the friends that you've lost and the dreams that have died and um, the ideals that have had to shift. Um, we can say as a person of faith and in a moment of great faithfulness, we can say, the women tell me there's resurrection, but I'm just really not sure what I believe right now. Um, something about their honesty and their authenticity is actually what invites the presence of God. Because there will be those around you who will say that maybe when you're on the road to Emmaus that you've walked away from Jesus. But the truth is, is that he is on the road with you. And we just don't always recognize him. You know, one of the, the, the great lies oftentimes that people will tell us is that if you were more faithful, you wouldn't have found yourself on the road to Emmaus, right? If you'd prayed harder or believed more, practiced, done your quiet times. <laughs> but instead, it's, it's my earnest and honest belief that you've found yourself there, that we have found ourselves often on the road to Emmaus, not because of faithlessness, but because of faithfulness. That we're the ones that we're here oftentimes because we did dare to hope and we took it seriously. Um, we dared to hope that the gospel was true. You know, we dared to hope that Jesus meant what he said and that God was love. We dared to believe that the church could be a sanctuary for the wounded and the misfits and the marginalized. We're daring to hope that all of us are made in the image of God and that prayer changes things. We dared to hope that you could love and be loved in return and that Jesus's teachings and way of life would matter more than politics or power and that the truth and goodness mattered. Um, daring to hope for friendship and justice and belonging uh, for shalom, daring to hope for peace. And so, yeah, you know what? We are here, you know, a couple fools on the road to Emmaus, you know, bringing that heart sickness and that disappointment, you know, heard of resurrection, not quite sure what we believe or even what that means yet. And so right in on that road, right in the middle of that, right in the middle of our despair, in the dust even of our disappointment, the rubble of the box that we built for God, 
right? Right in the middle of that. We are often walking with God in ways that we can't even recognize yet. And as they walked on that road, Jesus spoke to them as we heard about suffering as part of the story. And he speaks about the scriptures and about the prophets and the path that led him, you know, to be there with them in that, in that moment with them, their hearts are warming and they're rekindling this unlikely hope, even before they can name it, even before they recognize him, even before the bread is broken, which is coming up in the story. And so my question this morning is that, is the wonder if there is room in our hope for if, if not even resurrection yet, um, but for the companionship and guidance of the Holy Spirit as you are traveling, um, that we can be walking, feeling like maybe we don't, we had hoped for certain things and the whole time God is alive and walking alongside of us with patience and kindness and love kilometer by kilometer, hour by hour. And then later on in our lives, oftentimes we find ourselves saying we're not our hearts strangely warmed when we were on the road. So that jumping back to the, the book of Luke, he writes and says that as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. And just as a side note, I find this absolutely hilarious. <laughs> There's so many moments in this story where I genuinely think like Jesus is just playing with them. Like he's just having a good time because earlier he's like, hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, um, how do you not know? <laughs> and then Jesus does this whole thing of like pretending he doesn't know what's going on, but he was just like staying there for the food. And I find a lot of playfulness in a lot of the encounters with Jesus these days when I read scripture in a way that maybe I didn't a number of years ago. There's just these, this playfulness and this uh, joy, even this sneakiness that into some of these texts and these passages that used to seem very serious to me. But anyway, so here it's, I find it funny. He's like, no, no, I'm going to keep going. And they're like, no, stay. He's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from his sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So some wise folks have noted that it seems like Jesus eats his way through the gospels. And that's just another reason why I love Jesus. People who love to eat are good people. But it's at this meal that everything begins to come clear uh, to the disciples. They begin to understand why their hearts are strangely warmed, why they were begging him to stay and to eat with them. Um, because then Jesus, of course, takes the bread and he blesses it and breaks it, gives it to them. And the story says that it was then that their eyes were open and they recognized him. And so we don't know how long he was there with them, both before and after, but then eventually he wasn't. And so Gonzalez uh, also taught that this is the moment that like, the word and the sacrament were standing together, that the word was explaining the sacrament and it enacted, it made it reality, right, for the disciples, because now they have to act on what they know. And even though it wasn't really typical for people, I think, to travel at night at this time, they get up, they return to Jerusalem, they find the disciples all together. Um, you know, spoiler alert, if you keep reading, kind of past that story, Jesus shows up literally again while Cleopas and his companion are telling the story. And that is also a really great part. <laughs> So the disciples that Jesus had met on the road were disappointed. He hadn't met their expectations. And here again, he's teaching us about the kingdom of God by showing us that we're not looking for armies to overthrow. 
to gain power and prestige and certainty that we are left with broken bread on a communion table and hope. And maybe the hopes that we had were legit. Maybe they were misplaced. Maybe we were disappointed with Jesus. Maybe we were disappointed with the church. And that's okay. I think we can name that and we can can lean into that and be curious even about our disappointment. I can't really answer that for everyone, obviously. Everybody's got a different story and you come into the conversation from such different places and that matters. Um, but as we are entering into that sacramental kind of mystery of Jesus walking on the road, the companion and the guide, the risk of hope, the breaking of bread, the, our world are, and our lives even are being transformed kind of one meal at a time. Um, you know, in my line of work, um, as a writer and in ministry at times, I, I talk a lot about hope, um, and that's on purpose, right? It's not, it's not an empty thing or a naive thing to me. Um, I think because I feel like I've had to fight for it. Um, I've really had to contend for that hope. That's an old Pentecostal word that I just love with my whole entire heart is that word contend I want to contend for all um I think because we've we've suffered and we've grieved I've had my certainties blown to hell and it turned out that God was the one who lit the match and for that I say hallelujah you know the God who suffered is the same God who calls us to hope and I'm not speaking about when I talk about hope I'm never talking about like the stupidity of silver linings um which I'm very good at by the way <laughs> Or the violence of saying things like everything happens for a reason um, or very privileged types of optimism. You know, I'm not talking about this anemic idea of pretending everything is fine or just being certain that it'll work itself out anyway. And also yay for heaven. Um, my friend Kate always calls this like toxic positivity on Instagram because I see something really different in Jesus and not just Jesus in this story, but Jesus's entire life and, and ministry and, and ongoing work in the world today and the entire uh, story of scripture. And, and honestly, even I can see this in my own life as well, that when I look at Christian hope, I see a hope that takes suffering and grief and injustice seriously, um, that takes our liberation and our joy and our wholeness seriously that it's not a dismissive um, pat on the back sort of platitude that we don't, we're not living and moving and having our being within a love that denies our full humanity. And that's where your hope can be found, right? In that God who's on that dark road to Emmaus, when you think you're walking away from God. And on any road to Emmaus, you remember only later that your heart was strangely warmed. I think sometimes we aren't even fully aware of our hope until we've tended to the flame for a while. And it's at that moment that you realize that your, your hope is defiant. That however small your little light, that is a form of resistance. That it is a satisfying middle finger to the forces that seek to colonize and steal and kill and destroy us. That it is the knowledge that Jesus came to give life and life that is more abundant. And that doesn't mean that you are faking it till you make it. It never goes back to what it was before, friends, that your hearts are strangely burning. And that is the life of faith that you are still moving towards. I think one important thing to, to name is that we wouldn't often wouldn't have found ourselves in this place if it wasn't for hope. And so our hope is rooted in our, our grief and our anger and our despair, even the suffering. And, and so you've won it. Um, you contended for it. You know, you worked for it. You earned it. Your hope deserves your honor and it deserves your love. And, and you don't want to let anyone take that from you. 
because we are still on the road to Emmaus. We're moving towards the table and this great truth that Jesus has been with us all along. You can, you can feast for a lifetime on a moment of clarity with Jesus because it's that, however small that hope is, that's the thing that is compelling you to turn over tables in the temple. Your hope is how you're voting and marching and protesting or um, John Lewis would say, making good trouble. Right, your hope is is what's resilient. It is, it is your never giving up and your never backing down. Your hope is that never sitting down and never shutting up. Your hope is uh, that she who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, your hope is what is showing up for the lonely and the needy and the the sick and the stranger. Your hope is how you are noticing and prioritizing beauty and joy. Uh, making room for rest and Sabbath and community like you're doing this morning. Your hope is the reason why you're here, that you're singing these songs and cooking meals for each other and braiding hair for, for your kids and writing poems, that your hope is planting gardens in the very places of our exile and showing up for the vigils and calls. Your hope is why you're calling your senator. Your hope is what brought you here to the feast in the wilderness, that you would hope that you weren't alone and now here you all are together. And so maybe it isn't, you know, the, the, the optimism and the naivete of our old lives. And that is a mercy. It doesn't always feel like it, but it is a mercy. And this is the, because now at this point, you've got hope that has seen something. Um, this, is, this is the hope that has lines on her face and silver in her hair. This is hope with strong arms and steady feet that are rooted and planted in the love of God. That this is hope with um, a raised fist in protest. This is hope crying out in the streets that Black Lives Matter and that every child matters and puts repentance into action. And this is hope that shows up knowing fully well that she is probably going to be disappointed again. And even that knowledge doesn't scare her. This is hope. Um, that rises every morning and makes the coffee and keeps going. You know, Jesus on the road is the living embodiment of what we're yearning for here, that deferred hopes and disappointment, that grief and sorrow, that suffering is not the end, that they are real and they are not the last word, the biggest word or the only word, that love is, the, is more real than anything. And on this journey, we are journeying with Jesus. So I wanted to encourage you this morning, church, to not surrender your hope just yet. Don't let them take it from you. You contend for it. You bring it with you, even as you are traveling, even as you are in in-between places, even tend to your hope, even as you are maybe unlearning or leaving behind toxic beliefs and habits and spaces that do not bring flourishing to you or to the people in the world. Um, my friend Rachel used to always say that, any, that um, the reason why we liked the, the phrase evolving faith um, is it because we thought that it was more superior or further along. I think anyone who knew us would know that that was not usually the definition that we would choose, but rather we saw evolving faith as, as um, a faith that's adapted in order to survive. And just as the disciples on the road to Emmaus and the disciples that returned in order to tell their stories to encounter Jesus yet again, I think there is that sense of let your faith adapt and change in order to survive. You may not have a mascot anymore. You may not have your certainties, but you will have broken bread and each other and the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I mentioned, I kind of made a joke earlier about the apocalypse and I, it was like one of those jokes that's not really a joke because I actually do think we're in the midst of an apocalypse. And I know that I'm super comfortable with that language coming from the background that I'm in. Um, but the, it, there is a sense of an unveiling 
or a revelation that the things that we have enjoyed keeping, uh, they were always there, but the things that we've enjoyed keeping quiet or under wraps or have jointly agreed to pretend don't exist have been revealed, right? And we're at, we're at a moment of, re of reckoning, um, you know, as a result of that. And so when people are wringing their hands and despairing that everything is changing, I see that God is at work on the byways and the side roads of our lives and our communities, that the ones who were wounded have become, are becoming our healers. Um, that the ones that we have often referred to as being on the margins are actually the center of God's geography. Um, and so seeing you as a community choosing hope every morning instead of fear, that is Jesus turning death into life over and over again, including in you. And so this is, this is part of our story right? The story of us, all of us, and I think the story in this scripture is that um, hope doesn't disappoint us in the end, that you may be disappointed, but your hope, your hope in the goodness and in the welcome and the love of God, you wonderful, stubborn church, <laughs> it will not disappoint you. You can take a risk on hope again, that that longing is fulfilled in the tree of life. And of course, Revelation, Apocalypse, tells us that the tree of life, it leaves are for the healing of the nations and the renewal of creation, that we are still walking towards Emmaus and that our hope is with us and soon. As always, our eyes are open to who's walking us home all along. So Emily, is it okay if I quickly pray for everyone before I have it back? Okay. All right. Let me pray for you all. Um, I know the way that I pray may not be the way everybody prays. Um, I did leave my tambourines with my flags uh, behind today. <laughs> it's cute that you all think I'm kidding. Um, all right. Now, may the God of Emmaus and disappointed disciples meet with you on your journey. May you acknowledge and bless your heart sickness and any confusion or grief or anger. Bring that to the presence of God. May it keep you moving towards the table. May you tend to those little sparks of hope that are strangely warming in your heart and treat it with honor and with love. I pray that you would experience both companionship and unexpected resurrections, that you would always remember that you are loved church, that you are loved with a love that endures all and overcomes all and redeems all, that you are loved in your insufficiency and in your plenty, when you are laughing, when you are crying, when you are praising and when you are lamenting, when you feel broken and when you feel whole. May we be the ones who are not giving up on radical inclusion that we would remember to whisper to one another every now and then on purpose and, and at the right time that, that you belong here, that we belong here, that there's room for us, there's room for all of us, that we would be a people who are holding doors open for others and holding hands and holding secrets for one another, who are able to hold um, each other's pain and, and brilliance, who can hold the, the light and the salt, the complexity, um, the silence and the storm, who, who know what it is to hold our opinions loosely and yet love each other ferociously. I pray that your eyes would be opened to see where God is hiding in plain sight in your life right now. And may you feel at your darkest hour when you are tired that God is holding you tight. May you sense the delight of Jesus over you and may you be blessed with discomfort and wonder and curiosity about the story that we are all wrestling with still. May you learn and be challenged and sleep well. May you be quieted 
by the love of God, that your striving and your hustling and your panic would be stilled for a moment to know that love is with you and love is mighty to save and love is your home. I pray that you would encounter a revelation of Jesus and his heart for you, his companionship alongside of you while you think you are walking away. May you experience the presence of God in sneaky and surprising sort of ways in the places where you least expect it. And it's in the name of the creator and the son and the spirit, one God and mother of us all. And I pray. Amen.